Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, hello, I'm your host, Simon. What happens here? Uh, one of my writers... In this case, Ilza. Thank you, Ilza, has written me a script that I've never read before. We're going to read it together and decode the unknown. The mysterious disappearance of Agatha Christie seems rather appropriate for Agatha Christie, doesn't it? She wrote, like, detective novels, right? I mean, I don't think I've ever read any of them because I don't think I've read anything that was written, I mean, other than being forced to at school before, like, the 20th century. Well, I don't know when she wrote, 1926. So I just see the date here in the first line, so it's got to be around then, right? I don't think I read stuff that old. I'm just not cultured enough. I'm so sorry. I just prefer to read, like, spy novels. <laughs> Love spy novels. On a sunny afternoon in 1926, a successful writer of popular detective stories attended a very posh high tea and found herself drawn into a mystery involving murder, mayhem, gigantic hornets, a unicorn, and of course, an alien. I fucking hate hornets. I hate hornets. I hate wasps. Got a little house in the countryside, and uh, there's a there's a sand pit out on the deck for my uh, for my kids to play in, and it has this like wooden cover. And I go there like a couple of weekends ago, and I like take the wooden cover off, and there's a bloody wasp's nest in there. And I'm like, oh, I hate wasp nests. To so get a giant stick, and I poke it off, and then flick it into the woods. <laughs> I'm like. I just hate wasps. I think I, I also like grew up and I remember and there's just something creepy about wasps nests like bees nests are somewhat creepy like in the wilds not like the, the square ones you get where they're farming honey but native bee nests and native but wasps nests they're just creepy and then this one had all these like little waspies in there and little waspy eggs and you're like oh disgusting I hope they all die. In the course of solving this otherworldly puzzle, the writer herself vanished without a trace until a couple of days later when she turned up at a spa with no memory of what had happened. Agatha Christie, did you get involved in one of your own novels? Alright, I'll complain. The Hornets, the Unicorn, and the Alien are all just part of a Doctor Who episode. But as for the disappearing act, that actually happened. Oh no! I mean, yeah, I'm glad there's no Hornets in today's episode, but I mean, keep watching. I'm sure it'll still be interesting even without Hornets and Aliens and Unicorns. It's like none of these things are real except for hornets are definitely real, unicorns are definitely not real, and uh, aliens are almost certainly real, but we can't know. And don't, don't, don't misinterpret that. I don't think aliens have come to the Earth. I don't think there are aliens on the Earth. I don't think there's a weird shadow alien government. I just think that out there in the vastness of the unius, un, unius, in the, in the vastness of the universe, there exist aliens because the universe is. Well, as you put it, big. Life imitates art, or so they say, and in a twist so delightful I couldn't make it up if I tried, one of the world's greatest mystery writers became the center of a mystery worthy of Poirot himself. I speak, of course, of Agatha Christie, who disappeared in a rather spectacular fashion and took the reasons, if there were any, to her grave. The delightful Doctor Who episode is not the only slightly fictionalized version of events. Wait, slightly fictionalized with unicorns and aliens, Ilza. It sounds pretty fully fictionalized. I've never seen Doctor Who to nobody's surprise. I mean, I think I've seen like really early episodes. I, I can't, I, I think I brought this up in a previous episode. It's like, was, was Doctor Who once black and white? Because I feel like I've seen black and white episodes of Doctor Who, but I've never seen any of the new episodes of Doctor Who. 
I think I even mentioned before, my nan used to know. Um, I can't remember his name. He was one of the actors who uh, was who played Doctor Who. He lived in, like, the same little village that she lived in. I mean, I don't think they were friends, but they were, like, they knew each other. Weird. Numerous stories have been written, some very loosely based on Christie's disappearance. I tried my best to separate fact from fiction, but not all tales included giant hornets to suggest that it wasn't entirely true. Here are the facts that I found, and I apologize in advance if any fiction should creep in. Who was Agatha Christie? I feel like this this is a section entirely for Simon's benefits. That uncultured swine. I'm going to start this section with a little tale of my own. I grew up in a smallish town where fantasy was considered to be a bit strange at best and from the devil himself at worst, even children's stories containing... Like, I know Ilza's from South Africa, but this sounds like very, uh... I don't mean to, like, generalize and stereotype the south of the United States, but there's those towns in the middle of nowhere where it's, like, super churchy. Right, and there's some like preacher, and he's like, They were sent by the devil. Harry Potter and his wands are the instruments of the devil. And it's like, What are you talking about? It's just Harry Potter. <laughs> Chill out, mate. Come on, it's just a story like the Bible. Oh, hallelujah. Even children's stories containing witches were enough to send some folks into mild hysterics. Luckily, violent crime was a okay, so after I depleted the stock of children's and young adult books in the library, in the library's defense, young adult fiction wasn't quite the extensive genre it is now, I turned to the adult section in my very early teens, where I stumbled across a host of crime novels. Luckily, I decided to start with Agatha Christie, leaving the more gruesome crimes for a later stage, so I made it out to the crime section relatively unscathed. I was really like, is this so unusual? Like, I definitely was reading, um, John Grisham novels. They're more like legal fiction. I was definitely reading that as a teenager. Yeah, I don't know, is it so unusual? And they, they can get pretty violent. It's probably why I'm such a mess. I spent many an afternoon curled up solving murders on the Nile and aboard the Orient Express. I thoroughly enjoyed her books back then, and while some may find them a little dated, I still enjoy them today, and I'm not the only one. Agatha Christie is officially the best-selling novelist of all time. No f***ing way. That's crazy. I no idea. I assumed it was the guy who wrote the Bible. The creator of Poirot and Mrs. Marple was born Agatha Mary Clarissa Miller on September the 15th, 1980. Sorry, 1890. I have that number thing where I jumble up the numbers. I don't, and it's like, I do like other channels where we do like more serious history, you know, talking about wars and shit. People are like, ah, Simon just said that King Henry VIII was alive in the 1930s. And I'm like, hey, stop making fun of my disability. It's not a disability. Wait, is it a disability? There's a numbers confusion thing. I don't think I have that. I think I'm just stupid. <laughs> to an American father and a British mother, she was the youngest of three children and, unusual for the time, was homeschooled by her father. At around age five, she taught herself to read and was an avid reader all throughout her childhood. At the age of 11, her beloved father died after experiencing a number of financial setbacks and Agatha and her mother became very close after that. In 1912, she met the charming Archibald Christie, a war aviator. And in 1914, the two got married after the war broke out. At this point, Archie was served in France, and Agatha was working with the Voluntary Aid Detachment at a Red Cross hospital, first as a nurse and later in the dispensary, where she learned a lot about medicines and potions. <laughs> oh, meds are back in the day. It's like, what do you dispense? Medicine. And uh, also some potions. Mm-hmm. Archie left for the front again soon after the wedding, and with there being a war on, the couple didn't see much of each other until 1918, when Archie returned home. In 1990, their daughter, Rosalind, was born. Sadly, Agatha's beloved mother, Clara, died in April 1926. This was quite a blow, and the writer struggled to come to terms with the loss. Not long after, Archie fell in love with a fellow golfer, Nancy Neal, and the shenanigans around that affair meant the end of the marriage was in sight. However, the end 
would not come quickly or quietly, and that might actually have played a part in Agatha's disappearance soon after. The couple finally divorced in 1928. In 1930, she met Max Mallowan, an archaeologist, and the couple got married seven months later. Agatha Christie was a traveler at heart. She went on a grand tour of the British Empire in 1922, and in South Africa, she was the first Englishwoman to surf standing up. <laughs> okay, whatever you're into, I guess. I think I've surfed standing up once. <laughs> it was like the whole day on that surfboard. Like, come on, come on, you can do it with some it's like, yes, yes, I'm doing it, I'm doing it! And then I was done, and I've never surfed since. My wife got clocked in the head by a surfboard once. It was terrible. She had like 14 stitches in her head. It was so intense. Uh, we were like in Mexico, and I was like, we were with a group of friends, and there's like the beach and all these surfers, and I'm like, guys, don't go swimming in the ocean. There's like surfers swimming around there. That doesn't seem like a great idea. And they're all like, no, we're going swimming in the ocean! And then I'm just sitting on the beach. And there's a surfer coming, I'm like, oh, oh, good. Bang! And it was crazy. We had to go to the hospital. There were all sorts of things, like many stitches in the head. It was super intense. It was like, probably, it was one of the worst experiences of my life. For sure. But, um, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that story, Simon. Ever since I've started writing these scripts, I found references to South Africa in the strangest of places, but onwards with the story. After her divorce from Christie, she traveled to Baghdad and the archaeological site at Ur. As a child, she visited France and later Cairo with her family. Once she married Malouan, she would often go with him on trips and helped with exploration, preservation, and cataloging work, and this interest in Middle Eastern archaeology would show up in her writing. All in all, Agatha Christie wrote 66 detective novels, 15 short story collections, 17 plays, 6 romance novels under the name Mary Westmacott, as well as some poetry and two autobiographies, one based on her grand tour of 1922. The Mousetrap is the longest-running play in history. It opened in, I feel like I've seen the mousetrap, feel like I've seen that play. It opened in London in 1952 and only stopped when COVID closed down theatres. However, with theatres open again, it's back on stage. Agatha Christie was a remarkable woman with a life to match. Her star was on the rise, so when she disappeared unexpectedly in 1926, the world took notice. The mystery. On the evening of Friday, December the 3rd, 1926, Agatha and Archie had yet another argument and Archie left to spend the weekends with friends and his mistress. Mm, okay then. I don't know, it's like the past. Yeah, no, he's just, what are you up to this weekend, dear? I'm going to see my mistress. Oh, okay. At around 9.30, Agatha checked in on a sleeping seven-year-old daughter, left her house in Sunningdale, Berkshire, got in her car, a Morris Cowley that she was rather fond of, and disappeared. What are you doing, Agatha? You can't just leave your seven-year-old kid at home. I like. I was wondering the other day. Like, I've got two kids. And I'm like, when can they? When, when can we leave them at home by themselves? And I'm like, they gotta be like teenagers, right? At least one of them has to be a teenager, right? You can't just leave your kids at home. That is like some. The the, the social services are gonna come if you leave your seven-year-old at home, right? That's not responsible parenting. The next day, a car was found above a chalk quarry at Newlands Corner near Guildford with the headlights still on. According to police reports, the car was found halfway down a grassy slope. It was well off the main road with its bonnet buried in some bushes suggesting the driver had lost control some luggage a fur coat and attache case with some papers and agatha's driver's license were also found in the car of mrs christie however there was no sight a man only identified as McAllister, claims to have seen a woman matching agatha's description at 6:20 that morning when he helped her start the engine of her car he told police that she wasn't really dressed for such cold weather and appeared strange in a manner but he couldn't say what happened to Agatha after their encounter. Much like a character in one of her popular mystery novels, the writer 
had simply vanished. This sounds immediately like this just smells of a PR stunt, doesn't it? Other than like they're leaving the daughter at home. It's like everything about this. The car crashed into the bushes. I feel like attache cases are something that only make appearances in novels and movies. It's like, and maybe they're carried by like diplomats or something. I want an attache case. That seems cool. Like maybe I'll finally be cool if I had an attache case. But it does, it does smell like PR, doesn't it? The search is on. The search for Agatha Christie was one of the biggest at the time. Newspapers reported that thousands of police officers and volunteers were involved, and even airplanes were used in order to find the missing author. As it turns out, this was a bit of an exaggeration. The hunt for Christie was one of the biggest due to some high-profile people getting involved, but when questioned about the supposed excessive time and money poured into the investigation, the Home Secretary stated that Christie disappeared in concerning circumstances. She might have been injured, lying in the undergrowth, wandering the countryside, suffering from amnesia, or she might have fallen into a gravel pit. More importantly, she could have been the victim of a crime. Therefore, the actions taken by the police were justified, but still in line with usual procedure. Public volunteers provided a lot of help, but no airplanes were used by the police. So, based on this, I will take anything printed by the newspapers of the day with a generous dose of skepticism. However, some of the theories they come up with are rather entertaining. <laughs> it's like... Those secretaries like, no, 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 we didn't use extra support looking for one of our most famous people. I feel like... <laughs> I know it's wrong, but it's like, you kind of would expect him to, wouldn't you? Because if Agatha Christie disappears, the poli- there's going to be a lot more negative light shone on the police than if just random Joe Bloggs disappears, isn't there? I know everyone should be treated equally and all that stuff, but shh, but this sounds so privileged. But like, I'm sure, no, I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say it because it makes me sound like such a knob. <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. Oh my God, Simon. Just say it! First, a full police hunt was launched to find the missing writer. Police, volunteers, and even one of Christie's own pets was called in to assist. The dog just whined pitifully and led police and volunteers around in circles for three hours, probably because it was a pet and not a trained sniffer dog and had no idea what he was expected to do in this strange place surrounded by strange people. What were you thinking? However, after three days, according to newspapers at the time, Agatha's brother-in-law, Campbell, received a letter from her stating that she was at a spa in Yorkshire to relax and recover. The police Police, however, were not convinced, and considering all the true crime stories where the family members of victims received letters, text messages, and emails from loved ones who were already dead, I don't blame them. Of course, checking that out might have saved some efforts, but we'll get to that later. They were like, no, no, we don't believe it. Do we just want to send one Bobby to go and have a look at you, or should just, just phone him up? Or like send a telegram, whatever they did in the past. Just give him a ring and be like, yo, John, why don't you pop down to the spa and check if old Agatha Christie's down there? You know what she looks like. She's that famous author. And he'll be like, all right, mate. But no, they're like, that seems fake. Let's not investigate further. Classic police. The police continued their search, but all manner of theories began to do the rounds. The first possibility was suicide. There were some concerns that Christie drowned herself in a local pond called Silent Pool. According to local legend, the pond was bottomless and no stranger to death. Two children had previously died at the pond. The pond was dredged looking for a body but none was found, so the police moved on to the next possibility. Murder. Also, uh, they, they quickly put to rest. They were like, should we dredge that pool? No, how could you? It's bottomless and it's an infinite supply of water. They'd be like, wow, that's great. We found an infinite supply of water. That's probably going to be useful at some point. Maybe we could do something with that. Obviously, it was not infinite. 
That'd be wrong. Now, just before we continue with today's episode, let me tell you about Notion. Notion is an all-in-one team collaboration tool that combines note-taking, document sharing, wikis, project management, and more into one space that's simple, powerful, and beautifully designed. Look, I'm someone who knows these different things, note-taking, document sharing, all of that, can spread across a bunch of tools. And not only does it become like unwieldy, it also becomes really expensive because you end up spending, you know, like $5 here, $5 there, $5 there, and then it's like, oh, and an extra team member. That's another 5 and it gets out of control pretty fast. Notion's customizable workspace can be tailored to realize any workplace OKRs or major life events. If that wasn't enough for you, Notion also has a worldwide network of millions of users constantly creating templates, tutorials, and inspiration. It's a tool that's getting better all of the time, which is nice. It's always nice to get upgrades. And while Notion will make you more efficient and productive at work, what really sets Notion apart is that it seamlessly transitions from a workplace power tool into a game changer for your personal life. Like if you're dreaming, working, planning, building at work or at home, Notion is the collaboration tool that you need. You can get started for free at Notion.com. Again, Notion.com to start for free. Notion.com to take the first step towards organized, productive work and life today. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. And now back to the show. Considering the arguments between the couple due to Archie's infidelity, though this wasn't known at the time, and Agatha's suspicious disappearance, it didn't take long for the police to suspect foul play. When the car was found, its headlights were on, and witnesses stated that the handbrake had not been pulled. If someone lost control of their car, surely they would pull up the handbrake, right? There was also no blood in the car to suggest that someone had been injured in a crash. This, of course, meant that the car had been pushed off the road to make it seem like it crashed. Surely you'd need a lot of strength to do that, and if Archie killed his wife, he would have needed to get rid of the car. There's also a letter that Archie burned, which is generally a bad idea if you're suspected of murdering your wife. We'll back to that a little bit later. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Although, I don't know. It would just be like, I don't want people reading that letter. It's private. And it's not like some admission of him murdering his wife. And honestly, even if it... This is the thing. As we discussed before, if this is a letter writing about how you're going to murder your wife, fucking do burn it. Come on. Burn that shit. What are you doing? The crime of murder is worse than the crime of destroying evidence, my dude. Get to that burning. It's like you've just murdered someone. Burn your fucking clothes what's going on don't be like yeah no i'll just wash them be like no <laughs> but what if i wash them on 60 no burn them what about this knife i really like like this knife that i've used for all this ma- get rid of it throw it in the river then there was the house. How the media came up with this, I've no idea, because the friends who apparently told them the story denied ever saying anything about a haunted house, but the media being the media, if there isn't a ghost, well, they're going to invent one. So the story goes that Agatha told a friend that she wasn't fond of her house. It's still on a lonely lane that was unlit at night, and on top of that, it was bloody haunted. Apparently, the lane had been the scene of a murder of a woman and the suicide of a man. I couldn't find anything to back this up, but not every single crime and suicide committed in 1926 is going to be listed online. So... It's not beyond the realm of possibility. Agatha also told her friends that if she didn't leave Sunningdale soon, Sunningdale would be the end of her. How exactly this haunting led to her disappearance is unclear. Did the ghost murder her, stash her body, and steal her car? As I said earlier, some of the theories are entertaining. (laughs) 
Fucking ghosts. <laughs> also, it's like, oh yeah, no, if we found out there was a murder and a suicide on that lane, it means it's haunted. No, it doesn't. It just means there was a murder and a suicide on that lane. And there probably wasn't. I mean, over the course of history, maybe there was. But it's still really unlikely. Another theory that the police considered after about a week of searching with no traces of the author was that Agatha had left home with no intention of returning. That is what I feel to be the most likely thing. It's like, she's just like, oh, f it, I've had enough. I don't want to be Agatha Christie anymore. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go get my face changed by some... No, it's the 1920s. You're kind of fucked if you're famous back then. I mean, these days, I feel like, let's say you're Tom Cruise, you could probably, like, you know, shave your head, grow a beard, get some facial reconstruction surgery, and you could, like, go and live as anonymously somewhere else. Back in the day, you're going to have to make... It's going to be really more difficult, right? In fact, she was so determined not to be found that she was hiding in London, possibly dressed as a man. Once again, how the police came to this conclusion, I have no idea. While the author was not as well known at the time, considering her choice of career, her identity would have been revealed eventually. So this doesn't seem like a particularly clever long-term plan. The big guns get involved. Apparently, all the regular cops, civilian volunteers, hapless pets, and airplanes not paid for by the police were not doing a good enough job. Home Secretary William Joyson Hicks also started putting pressure on the police to find the missing author and solve the mystery. Now, I'm not entirely sure why he became involved. Maybe he was just a fan, but he was not the only big name associated with Christie's disappearance. Some sources claim that the Surrey police asked Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of the famous Sherlock Holmes, whether he had any insight into the case. The idea of the police turning to genius private citizens with amazing deductive reasoning abilities has become a staple in crime fiction, but I've not been able to verify this. So while Doyle did get involved in the case, I'm not convinced the police came to a novelist for help. Doyle, instead of channeling his inner Sherlock, turned to a medium. <laughs> I love this about uh, Arthur Conan Doyle. One of the things about him is, despite being the author of the Sherlock Holmes series of novels, like Sherlock Holmes, the biggest rationalist of all time, Arthur Conan Doyle believed in all sorts of crazy shit. And he and Harry Houdini had this big, they were friends and they had this big falling out over the fact that Harry Houdini was like, Arthur, mate, ghosts aren't real. You can't communicate with ghosts via mediums. That's just insane. And Coda Doll is like, Harry, mate, they are real. And uh, they had a big falling out about this. And uh, there's more to this story, but I don't remember it. I made a video about it. It's quite interesting. This medium was called Horace Leaf. Doyle's firm belief in psychics and mediums is well documented and was a source of conflict that eventually tore his friendship with Harry Houdini to shreds. There you go. Leaf's specialty was psychometry. Who knows? It's not real. Getting psychic information from physical objects. <laughs> he was given a glove and pronounced the name Agatha without being told who the glove belonged to. Considering that she was on the front page of every newspaper at the time, this isn't a particularly tough deduction to make. He then went on to state that there was trouble associated with the glove. No kidding. The woman was missing. Now, the rest of his prediction is a bit uncanny. He stated that the person who owned the glove was half-dazed and half-purposeful. She wasn't dead, like many people believed, and he even stated that she would be heard from soon. His exact words were next Wednesday. He wasn't far off. She was discovered on Tuesday. Now, I don't believe in psychics, but I have to admit, that's a hell of a lucky guess. Yeah, it is, and it's just that. A lucky guess. You even got the day wrong, idiot. But Doyle was not the only crime novelist to offer assistance. Dorothy L. Sayers, writer of the Lord Peter Whimsey books and friend of Agatha Christie, also stepped up in search for the missing novelist. Sayers, along with Christie, was considered one of the queens of crime and was the secretary and later the president of the Detection Club, which still exists today, and counted members like Christie, G.K. Chesterton, Ruth Pendle, and Ian Rankin through the years. This is like, I, I saw a picture 
a few months ago. And it was of just some people playing cricket. And it was like famous authors. Like, uh, I don't remember them, but like the greats of literature. And there were like six people. And three of them were these greats of literature we've all heard of. And then at the bottom it said, also included, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. Um, some of the most noted popular writers of their time. And it's like, oh my god. These guys were probably, at the time, had bigger careers and definitely bigger houses than the guys who were writing this fiction that has survived through the ages. And it's just so crazy looking at this photo. And you're like, all of these people were equally famous, if not more so the guys writing the popular fiction, more famous than the, the literary greats that we know today. But then you look at that photo a hundred years later and the only names we at all recognize are the people who wrote these great novels. And I'm just like, that's just crazy. <laughs> Apparently, she visited the scene of the disappearance, presumably where the car was found, looking for clues, but sadly found nothing. At least she relied on her own wits instead of the prediction of a psychic. Finally, some spirits also became involved, because we all know that when the police fail to provide answers, it only makes sense to turn to ghosts. A seance was held at the chalk quarry, and the medium firmly declared that the writer had met with foul play. I'm not sure who this medium was, I couldn't find a name, but declaring living people to be the victims of foul play will do that to your reputation. A confusion of letters. And then, oh, we have the letters. We writers have this weird tendency to write, and Agatha was no different. So, true to her calling, a number of letters saw the light of day after her disappearance. Three of these letters definitely existed. The first letter was addressed to her secretary and later given to the police. However, according to the secretary, there was nothing extraordinary about the letter. It was simply scheduling arrangements and uh, there were no hints that the author was planning a disappearing act or that anything was wrong. The second letter was the one I already mentioned, sent to her brother-in-law, stating that she had gone to a spa in Yorkshire. Apparently, the letter itself was never shown to the police, only the envelope in which it arrived. So the police only had Campbell's word to go on. Considering that Campbell was the brother of a murder suspect, I can see why the police didn't take the letter very seriously. The third letter was sent to Archie, Agatha's husband, but he was adamant that the letter addressed to him contained nothing to suggest that she was planning on leaving. According to him, it was a personal note between him and his wife and had no bearing on what was going on. However, no one could confirm that since he'd burned the letter. I don't think this is that bad. I think that's fair. It's like, okay, this was a personal letter. I guess the police are going to dig through my shit, and I don't want them reading this really personal letter, so I'm going to burn it so they can't. And then you're like, oh yeah, that does look suspicious, doesn't it? But then you're already like, oh sh I burned it. In that case, just go throw the ashes out the window or scatter them around the garden or something, you'll be fine. Here's a free tip. If you're suspected of murder, burning a letter from the supposed victim is not going to do much to clear your name. That's not true. What if that letter is all about the murder? <laughs> In that case, it's definitely going to help clear your name. That's a very pretty point. According to the media, another letter surfaced addressed to her secretary and or husband. This letter was only to be opened in the event her body was discovered. Who exactly was supposed to enforce this, I'm not sure. The secretary denied the existence of such a letter, but this is obviously a cover-up since the media wouldn't ever lead us astray. Of course, if someone sends me a letter only to be opened should their body be found, I'm going to read it immediately in case there's something in there to prevent their body from being found in the first place. If it says open in the case of my death, fine. Leave that in a safe and open it when the person dies. That's respectful. Open in the case of my body being found? <laughs> open that shit right away. Personally, I doubt this letter ever existed, but I'm a bit of a skeptic. The letter never existed, Ilza. You and I are on the same page, as are we with our skeptical beliefs. As might our audience be. Maybe they're like, Simon, I, I was sold on the ghost thing. 
He predicted that she was coming back next Tuesday. Obviously, the medium was right, and he is our god, and we should worship him. A discovery. It's not entirely clear who called in the tip to the police. A guest, a staff member, or Bob Tappen, the banjo player. But ten days after her disappearance, Agatha Christie was finally found at the Old Swan Hotel in Yorkshire. So, just this once, a letter sent to a missing person's family member turned out to be from the missing person, telling everyone who actually read it where exactly to find her. Oh my god, police, why didn't we send that Bobby down there and just check it out? Just why not? However, to keep things interesting, she had checked into the hotel under the name Theresa Neal, the last name of her husband's mistress and a guest from Cape Town, South Africa. Now here, I have to pause for a moment, for I have two questions. The first question would be how no one recognized her for 10 days, considering that her photo was on the front page of every newspaper. As for the second question, did no one think it was strange that a guest all the way from South Africa would check into a hotel in the UK with barely any luggage? Trust me, the difference in climate, not to mention the extended travel time since commercial air travel was not yet a thing, would require considerable out of luggage. Yeah, although some people just like to travel light. I, I, I've done some backpacking, and I just like would take nothing. It was like, I'll take a chair, change of clothes, some money, and my passport, and then I'll just do laundry really frequently. I'll just throw away my clothes and buy new clothes. Like, I'd, it would just be like a school backpack. I traveled America for like two months, and I had a backpack that was just like a regular back, not like a giant hiking backpack, but just like a regular backpack that you might take to work with your laptop inside it. And I'd just buy like new t-shirts at Walmart and throw the old ones away. Same for underwear. And then I just had a pair of shorts that converted into trousers. And half that backpack was taken up by a giant SLR camera that I used to take pictures. Uh, and then I did the same thing for like six months in Asia. It's had a slightly bigger backpack because I needed like a sleeping bag or like a sleeping, you know, like a, a sleeping bag liner that I packed into there. But I just, I don't know. You could just, you don't need as much stuff as you think you do if you're willing to like rough it a little bit. But let's not get distracted. Sorry, <laughs> totally got distracted. The story goes that the police notified Archie Christie that his wife had finally been located and he immediately set off to bring her home. Upon arrival at the hotel, he took a seat in the dining room and watched as his wife came in, sat down, and started reading a newspaper with a story about her disappearance on the front page. According to guests, when he finally approached her, she looked at him in puzzlement, according to some, and gave him a stony glare, according to others. Either way, it appeared that she didn't know who he was. Archie himself soon announced that his wife had no memory of what had happened to her. So, this should be where the story ends. Right? A missing person is found alive and well. So what more could people ask for? Well, for one thing, what exactly happens? Yeah, I mean, wait, she has no memory of what happened to her? <laughs> I feel like this is a bit of an excuse. You know, like Breaking Bad, where Walter has that fugue state. He's like, no, 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 I don't know what I was doing. I was just, uh, I was in a fugue state. I definitely wasn't off in the desert cooking drugs. Definitely not. Wouldn't do that. I was in a fugue state caused by my lung cancer. Okay, Walter. The mystery solved. Agatha herself never spoke about her 11 missing days. Either she truly had no memory of what had happened, or she knew but chose not to share. However, mystery buffs the world over have some of their own ideas and what happened. A car accident. Yeah, this seems to be like, um, sorry, mystery buffs. Did I say movie buffs? Weird. I think maybe if we're not like, say, she has the fake fugue state, she bumped dead in the car accident and then wandered off for a few days and then was like, what's going on? Why am I in a hotel? Where's my daughter that I left at home a week ago? Good lord. The police consider that Agatha might have been in a car accident. The way her car was found at the chalk pit suggested that the driver lost control of the car and had she gone off the road, a mild head injury or just the trauma could have triggered amnesia. It was speculated 
speculated that she had been on her way to London when the accident happened. From London, she took a train to Harrogate and checked into a spa where she was finally found. However, there is one big question. How did she get from the car to the station? Did she walk all the way or did she get a ride from someone? If she got a ride, why did that person never come forward? The witness the police spoke to claimed to have seen someone matching her description at 6.20 the next morning. If that was Agatha, where was she between 9.30 the night before and 6.20 that morning? While a car accident might certainly have contributed to her amnesia, I'm not entirely sure this is the whole story. An intentional disappearance. This is definitely where I'm thinking it's going on. She's just like, she just wanted to check out of her life for a few days. At the time of her disappearance, Agatha's personal life was falling apart. Her books were selling well, but she was struggling with depression after the death of her mother and the stress, humiliation, and heartbreak of her husband's affair. In a very short space of time, she'd lost two of the most important people in her life. This is enough to want to make anyone take a break, so... Perhaps that's just what she did. After all, she wrote a letter saying where she would be. She also had enough money on her to check into a hotel and spend some time shopping, considering that she had barely any luggage. This suggests a measure of planning, so maybe she needed a break to clear her head. However, it's possible that there might have been a slightly more sinister motive behind her disappearance. After all, she chose a weekend she knew her husband would be spending with his mistress. If you really want to spoil your spouse's weekend, disappearing is certainly a solid way to do that. So was her disappearance a ploy to win her husband back? or punish him for his betrayal. Yeah, I totally think it was intentional. I totally think this is a very reasonable explanation for wanting to do this. Like, all of these things combined. Wanting a break and being like, oh, also, plus, it's going to really piss off my husband. And also, I'm going to let him know by checking in under his mistress's name. Which is, uh... This is what happens. I'm pretty sure. According to one theory I came across, Agatha might actually have written a similar plot. In 1922, Christie wrote a book, The Secret Adversary, featuring two lesser-known characters, the adventurous Tommy, a former soldier, and Tuppence, an ex-nurse. Some people wonder if these characters were based on herself and Archie. In the novel, Jane Finn, a war nurse, disappears without a trace. Later, it turns out that she faked amnesia to stay hidden as she feared for her life. In another short story, Publicity, featuring the same two adventurous characters, Tuppence that a friend of hers disappears in order to convince her indecisive suitor to finally make up his mind and pop the question. It's not exactly what happened to Agatha, but there certainly are some similarities. Of course, if it was all planned, she would have needed help. According to this story, on the night of the disappearance, Agatha was hidden away by Nan Watts at her home in Chelsea before being taken to the station and getting on a train to Harrogate the next day. She was distraught at the time. She'd recently lost her mother and her marriage was falling apart, and the disappearance was a ploy to try and get her husband back. This makes sense, because if she had amnesia, like she claimed, it's unlikely she would check in under the name Neil. According to her daughter, the intention was never to cast Archie as a murder suspect or to gain publicity for her novels, but the plan went horribly wrong when the disappearance led to a media frenzy. Another theory is that she wanted to punish Archie by breaking up his weekend and using the name Neil was intentional. At the time, Archie's infidelity was not public knowledge, and using the mistress's last name was sure to get the name into the media. Whether the intention was for Archie to become a murder suspect or whether that was just a lucky consequence, I'm not sure. If the idea was to simply shock Elizabeth into realizing how much he loved her and that he wanted her back, staying missing for 10 days, especially after the murder allegations, seems excessive. I just think, I don't think she wants him back or anything, I just think she wants to piss him off. And the murder thing is just like, that's just, I don't think she wants him to go to prison for murder. Well, obviously not, because she's not dead. But uh, she just wants him to sweat, sweat horribly. Mission accomplished. However, I keep coming back 
to the letter. It's possible that the brother-in-law lied about the letter and by sheer dumb luck identified the actual place where Agatha was found. But I find this very unlikely. If her intention was to punish or shock her husband, it wouldn't make sense to tell his brother where she went. At the end of the day, Agatha wrote detective stories. I think that if she really wanted to punish her husband, they would never have found the body. Yeah, but that's way different. Like, wanting to punish someone is different from wanting to murder them. And it's also a very specific punishment. He's like, he's gone away with his mistress for the weekend, and she's like, I'm gonna ruin your weekend, you bastard. And she does. Murdering him will be a fucking step up. <laughs> a fugue state. An excuse given by Agatha and her husband was Agatha suffered from amnesia and didn't remember any of those 11 days. Husband, in an interview on December 15, 1926, told the media that she suffered from the most complete loss of memory and I do not think she knows who she is. She does not know me and she does not know where she is. I'm hoping that rest and quiet will restore her. Two doctors that examined Agatha both agreed that she was, in fact, suffering from amnesia. But was this the case. Amnesia's got to be something quite easy to fake, isn't it? Like, the doctor goes, do you remember anything? Nah. Uh, okay. Who's the president? Don't know. <laughs> Where are you? Don't know. Where were you born? Don't know. Boom! Amnesia. Before we start, amnesia is portrayed in movies and on television where a person will completely lose all memory of who and where they are is virtually unheard of. That's not to say it doesn't happen, but it's only seen in rare psychiatric conditions, so full amnesia is not likely to have happened in this case. Some have argued that Christie used the last name of her husband's mistress when she checked into the hotel in Harrogate. Based on this, she couldn't have been suffering from amnesia. However, some partial amnesia that affects only episodic memory of events or semantic memory, factual, is possible. Fellow guests at the hotel reported that Christie was playing cards and even dancing during her stay. This means that her procedural memory, basically the memory that allows you to do things automatically, like dance and ride a bike, was unaffected. Remembering the name of her husband's mistress suggests that her semantic memory was also fine. If her episodic memory had been affected, then she would have been unable to remember how she got from Guildford to Harrogate in the first place. However, this also means that she knew who she was and knew her husband when she saw him, so not recognizing him was just an act. Another theory states that Christie was experiencing a disassociative fugue. This is an incredibly rare condition. It only affects 0.2% of the population, so when I say it's rare, I really mean rare. 0.2% of the population is still 1 in 500 people, which doesn't feel that rare. 1 in 500 people have experienced a fugue state? Is that what that statistic means? That seems incredibly common for, like, a fugue state. However, Agatha did exhibit quite a few of the symptoms associated with the condition. People experiencing this condition will almost always travel away from their home, usually unexpectedly. They generally have no memory of their personal information, their name, their phone number, the details of loved ones, and they will often create a new identity. It's also not uncommon for them to not recognize loved ones. However, while experiencing the fugue, they behave normally, so those who don't know them wouldn't realize that something's wrong. Once the fugue ends, they often find themselves in a strange or new situation. People have moved, started new jobs, and created whole lives for themselves while in this state. That's mental. And it also just feels like, how do we know? Are we sure this is real? Because this sounds like people are like, oh man, fuck my life. I'm going to go start a new life somewhere else. And then they're like, oh man, starting a new life is not all it's cracked up to be. I'm going to come back. No, I was in a fugue state. I was, I was, I was one, of the, one of the 500s. I was in a fugue state. Does that one in 500 account for all the people who definitely pretended to be in fugue states? Like Walter White? Because it does seem bl like a bloody convenient excuse, doesn't it? If someone's like, I was in a fugue state, I'd be like, don't believe you. You just were sick of your life, weren't you?
you fugue-lying bastard. This might explain some of what happened. Agatha left her home abruptly. She claimed to have no memory of what happened. People experiencing disassociative amnesia or disassociative fugue will often not remember the events right before the traumatic event, so this is believable. She behaved normally while at the hotel, created a whole new identity as a South African from Cape Town, and appeared not to recognize her husband when she saw him. Agatha was dealing with a lot of trauma at this time. She'd recently lost her mother. She was losing her husband, and she only mentioned those missing days once in an interview when she talked about driving past the chalk pit and wondering whether she should just drive into it. She decided against it because her daughter was in the car with her at the time, but it shows that she wasn't just depressed. Agatha Christie was suicidal. Could the stress of everything have just been too much, making the author snap and leading to a fugue state? I'm not a doctor, but to me, this sounds plausible. I don't think it's as plausible as her just deciding to have a few days away, to be honest. Also, if you're, are you suicidal if you're just driving away like, mm. Like, I don't know, because there's also the, like, intrusive thought where you're just like, oh my god, what if I jumped off this bridge right now? <laughs> you know when you're walking it, is this just me? But you're walking along a giant bridge and you're like, oh my god, it would be so, you could, I could just jump off this bridge right now and die. Obviously, I have no intention of doing it, but you're like, oh my god, people do that. I don't think that's just, like, uh, intrusive thought where you're like, oh my god, why am I thinking that, Simon? What's wrong with you? Does anyone, does anyone else have this? It's just me. Simon, they're like, you need to see a doctor. <laughs> No, I don't want to jump off the bridge. I'm just aware that I could. Or like you're driving down the road. It's like, oh my God, I could drive this car until I just full on head on collision. And you're like, that's an insane thought, Whistleboy. What's wrong with you? Probably shouldn't admit to this. I'm not going to do it. It just is like, you're just like, oh my God, there's so much power. I'm in this car. It's so big. A publicity stunt. Of course, there were rumors abounding that her disappearance was nothing more than a publicity stunt to sell more books. This seems unlikely. While she was by no means as well known and as popular as she is today, she was already a successful author, and there was no need for a publicity stunt like that to sell more books. What are you talking about? Like, Coca-Cola does publicity stunts, and they're Coca-Cola! Everyone has it! Wait, does Coca-Cola- Yeah, Coca-Cola do, like, on social media and stuff. It's like big companies do publicity stunts all the time. On top of that, she was also a deeply private and shy person, not the time to eagerly excite people's interest. She hated having her photo placed on the dust jacket of her books. I can't imagine her purposefully getting a picture on the front page of every newspaper. My theory. I believe there's a combination of factors at play. On the one hand, I believe that Agatha did plan to go away for a few days. She rearranged her schedule with her secretary, and she posted a letter to her brother-in-law. It's possible that she specifically posted it because she knew it would give her a few days in the hotel before her husband found out where she was. Since he was probably one of the problems she was trying to escape, this would make sense. She also had enough money to fund the trip. However, things went wrong. It's possible that her car did go off the road or she suffered some sort of mental break due to stress, and by the time she arrived at the hotel, she was in a fugue state, unaware of exactly who she was. She checked in using the only name she could recall, and when the fog finally cleared and she saw herself in the front page of every newspaper, she decided to ride it out and fake amnesia when she was found because she simply couldn't figure out any other way to explain what had happened. Neurological conditions like amnesia were not well understood in 1926 so it seems to be like a plausible excuse. Yeah, I think Ilsa's probably quite right, except I don't think there was actual amnesia. I think she probably did crash her car a little bit, and then was like, I'm not letting this derail my plans, and just carried on wandering, and was like, I'll just add to the mystery, and I'm just gonna go to the spa and have a good time and piss off my husband. 
That scene is like Occam's razor, isn't it? I think that's just the most likely thing that happened. Conclusion. Mrs. Marple or Poirot might have some inclination of what happened, but the rest of us, theories and speculation is all we have. Christy herself never spoke about those missing days. She never really had much to say about the end of her marriage, for that matter. I think it's safe to assume that it was a very painful chapter in her life, and she chose not to revisit it, and we can respect someone not choosing to return to their past pain and struggles. In a media playground. Thankfully, this low point in her life did not come to define her. Instead, Agatha Christie is remembered as a traveler, a surfer, a nurse, an apothecary, and an immensely talented and successful writer. It's no wonder she's still the best-selling novelist, even today. So, Agatha Christie, what happened to her? She went on a trip to piss off her husband, in my opinion. And this has been an episode of Decoding the Unknown. I feel like it's run quite solidly decoded. I mean, we're not sure, of course, but I think we, you know, I think we know what's up. And also, Agatha Christie, she, she came back. It's kind of a shame she didn't tell anyone. That's kind of a bummer. Anyway, this, although we'd find out that we'll find out it was the most simple thing, like she did just do it to piss off her husband. Everyone be like, oh, that's boring. <laughs> There's a nice mystery around it, as it is, isn't it? That's why we can make an episode about it today. Otherwise, it would just be like a boring part of someone's life. Anyway, thank you so much for watching. If you're listening to or, or listening, if you're listening to this as a podcast, please do consider leaving a review. It truly helps this show out and gets it helps this show out and gets it in front of more people. Why can I speak today? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, all of that good stuff, and I'll see you next time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.